My name's Jordan Cranston. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking, lads? You're going to get into it, out the game where you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Jordan Cranston. Oh, uh, well, um, uh, my name is Jordan Cranston. Um currently based in um, Wolverhampton. I was born and raised in Wolverhampton with my my two parents and my, my eldest sister. Um, I've got a, a young son who's turning three in September. And yeah, that's, that's the introduction of me. I've got two, got two working class class parents who my mum's working at the NHS at the local hospital, New Cross. My dad's on the, the bus, bus drivers, but unfortunately he's... Um, He's just not too long ago, a couple of years back, he had uh, suffered from prostate cancer, and um, he's he's currently as a high risk to um, to himself and obviously to other people. But he's on furlough at the moment. But um, everyone's keeping well. My fam, my parents are alright. My my son's alright, and I'm doing alright as well. Yeah, good to hear, mate. Good to hear. Um, and big question, Jordan. Who's who's your team? Who do you support? And, um. I don't know. Obviously, you both you all from um, from Liverpool, the Liverpool area. And I'm a Liverpool fan. My dad's a Liverpool fan. My family's a Liverpool fan. So I've basically grown up, even though I'm from um, I'm from Wolverhampton. I've I've basically watched Liverpool and gone to watch them a few times. So yeah, Liverpool's my, Liverpool's my team at the moment. Joining me Wait. via Zoom, not in person, which is devastating, is the two fellas, the two chaps, the guys. The, the loves of my life, the apples of my eyes. It's Ryan and Ant. Fellas, how are we? These these introductions get longer each week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm, I'm glad that I'm held in such high esteem by yourself. That's nice to hear. You are, mate. I wake up every morning thinking of both of you and fall asleep at night, every night thinking of both of you. So it's quite an, it's quite an intense relationship. Um, Ant? How are you, mate? Please save me from this strange rabbit hole I've gone down. <laughs> Just seeing where you're going to go to next year, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. Good, mate. Uh, good. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Good. I'm just a bit flattered. I've gone all red. and That's okay, mate. Before we uh, before we started recording, a little peep behind the curtain for the for the listeners, um, your partner was, was in the room off camera and was refusing to retain your, uh, your loving dotage to her wasn't she she just wouldn't 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 reply so i thought you know in an attempt to sort of perk you up for this for this episode i would you know i'd throw a bit of love your way and 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 and, you know i can tell from that beaming smile that it's worked we've been stuck inside together too long really and i think it's uh, it's taken its toll i am sure there's plenty of couples up and down the country who can't stand the sight of each other at the moment um, to be honest, yeah. they're breathing too loud. They haven't hoovered. They haven't done the dishes. It's a tough time for everyone. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Whoever's having a frustrating time, I, I'm completely with you. Yeah. 
It's all right. You've got that that tin of rice pudding to look forward to. So oh, I love a bit of rice pudding. So is that you can set your clock back to 1946 and enjoy a tin of rice pudding. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. So before we get started today, we're going to uh, we're going to appeal to you, lovely listeners, to 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 give us a hand in in helping to grow the podcast into to reaching new listeners and and try and spread the words about encouraging men to be more comfortable talking about their mental health so what you can do for us is to to head over to to itunes to apple podcasts give us a little five star rating review little comments just saying how much you're enjoying the podcast and advising people to give it a listen that would be very helpful of you indeed so on with today's episode we've got jordan cranston who is a left back he plays in the fullback position on the left hand side despite pep guardiola's greatest attempts to disrupt the existence of that position by making them all midfielders it still exists today and Jordan is a great example of that but what I want from you two Ryan and Ant I want your favorite left back from football from the annals of football history and Ryan as a man who has played fullback before as has Ant but Ryan I'm going to come to you first who's your favorite left back Difficult one to so many people you can put in that category. And when I was thinking about this question, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to try and go English with it. And just thought of players from the Premier League, because obviously there's been so many amazing European left-backs. But thought I'd try and keep one that I've seen quite a lot of. And when I narrowed it down, I ended up with Leighton Baines. And I think it's because, as good as he was at left-back, he was a scorer of great goals. And I just think that stands out. And if you're ever watching Premier League years or top 100 goals in the Premier League, he's always going to pop up like five or six times with some absolute screamers. And I just think he was just eight, nine out of ten every week for about nine years straight. Do you remember that that game against West Ham when he scored those two free oh, kicks? Yeah. Just absolutely ridiculous. Just unbelievable. And the thing was at the time... Ashley Cole was arguably the best left-back in the world or one of the best left-backs in the world. And he strikes you someone like in Baines as he wasn't actually that bothered about being in the limelight. I think he probably enjoyed his football more by not being England's first-choice left-back. I remember he went to a, a, a World Cup, didn't he, or the European Championships and got... 2018, yeah. Yeah. 2018 or t- t- 2018. 2008? Oh, no, no, 2014, sorry. 2014, yeah. And he's also like a bit indie, isn't he? Like, like Arctic Monkeys, he's a bit cool. He's just a cool fella. Plays a guitar, don't he? Took, took it with him to the tournament. as well. Yeah. Just boss of football as well. So, yeah, for all the Evertonians that are listening, which mostly are our friends, there's one for you. <laughs> How generous of you. Uh, Ant, <laughs> who's your, uh, your favourite left-back? Well, because he's got an, an English player, I was I was going to pick Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole's superb. And there's that debate, who's better, Leighton Baines, Ashley Cole. And we're not doing that here. Because Is that a debate? Is it really? Yeah, well, you on Twitter. Get on the line then, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Twitter, yeah, it absolutely. is a debate. So I think I'll go to. That's a rubbish debate. It's Ashley Cole. Leighton Baines is brilliant, but it's Ashley Cole, so let's move on. Okay, that, let's go. We'll go We'll go to Fever Abroad. We'll go abroad. And uh, the one I liked was uh, Joan Captavia. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that 2008 side for Spain I think is the best side they've had I know they won the World Cup in, in 2010 as well mm. but I think in terms of the I think they, they were quite the ground out a few in, in, in 2010 quite rightly you know they, they probably 
everyone saw what they did in 2008 and went, oh God, this is uh, this is pretty tricky. <laughs> um, but I think it, it was just such a, a refreshing thing to watch, the ticky-tack of football and yeah, Captavia was was superb, and he'd been superb for a few years before that as well with with uh, with Villarreal. So I I was going to pick him. Yeah, that Spain eight side was fantastic. Torres and Villa up front, center in the middle. Oh, superb! I, all I the said, all the you know. all the players getting on from the different Spanish clubs, which had never happened before, and oh, it was fantastic. Lovely, absolutely lovely uh-huh. choice. That so there's a name I haven't heard for a while. Captivia. Mm. I'm captivated by that choice. I'm going Fabio Grosso now. He's gone. You're not. You've already. You've already gone for Leighton Baines. <laughs> you've already gone for Leighton Baines. I went for Ian Hart. Wow. Do you know what made I thought about him, but similar reason to to Baines. So he took us to Gosha. An absolute wand of a left back, oh. Ian Hart. Had. Do you remember when like he just went to Carlisle? I feel like he just scored free kicks for Carlisle every week. Like, every time he'd be like, "I'm going to sit down to watch the EFL highlights." Oh wait, Ian Hart scored another free kick again. Nothing like he... an 18 goal a season left back when you're trying <laughs> to get out of League Two. <laughs> I think Leeds had. I think they had Dean Hart, and then I think not long after they had Alan Sheehan, who did exactly the same thing, just belted in free kicks for fun. <laughs> no Ian way to lie, his first full season at Carlisle, he got 18 goals. That's <laughs> no. yeah, amazing. He was penalty maker, wasn't he? In 67 games. Just, just <laughs> ridiculous. Man's a left back, shouldn't be doing it. In, I in like a, how we ended up in there. Like, it was so weird. It, it, scored a few... He scored a few Champions League goals as well, Ian Hart, didn't he? What, for Carlisle? No. <laughs> the league just, back in the just... day, he scored a few. I'm sure he scored a big one. Was it maybe against Lazio, possibly? Can't remember, mate. Just definitely scored a few. Hart, mate. What a player. Just an excellent yeah. left foot. He feels very quintessentially Premier League as well. Like, you know, when you oh. when you, you talk about Premier League years, they were Leighton Baines, right? When you, I think of Premier League years... I do a lot of that Leeds team springs to mind. Young Alan Smith, David Batty running around in the middle of the pitch. Gary Kelly. Gary, Gary Kelly. Kelly, yeah. Luke, Luke, <laughs> Lucas Radderby. Pure mm. Decourt in the middle of the park. Yeah, Mark Viduka up front. Just glorious scenes. And he was a there. Young, a young and healthy Harry Kuehl. I'll tell you what, Kuehl, for the listeners, if anybody can find us another left-back who's played over 500 games and has got a better strike rate than one in seven, let us know. Tweet us or DM us because I'd be interested to see if there's a better goal scorer than left back. 85 <laughs> goals in 547 games and 12 in 64 for his country, which is probably better than like Shane Long scored for the Republic of Ireland. So. It's a dig at Shane Long. Sorry, Shane, if you want to come on the show, more than welcome. If you're listening, Shane. Um, imagine, he, what, imagine just randomly Shane Long was just a big fan of Man Marking. And like every time he opened his Spotify, it was like your most listened to show, and it was us <laughs> casually sat atop with Shane Long Spotify. Anyway, that's not happening. So let's move on. Jordan Cranston is today's interview, today's guest. So first of all, right, do you want to tell the, the listeners why we wanted to speak to Jordan? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> he actually came out in an interview. I think it was it was either with the Gloucestershire Times or it might have even been a local one to Morecambe. A very honest interview about his struggles and it kind of came out the blue really and we, we came across it and we, we reached out to him on Twitter it was really as easy as that really but for anybody who obviously didn't see how that came about he was 
he was quite nervous, and I don't think he'd mind us saying that about coming on the show. He was quite inquisitive about what we'd ask and seeing questions beforehand. And and I don't think it was something he was genuinely comfortable with doing. And I know a lot of people can be sceptical when footballers come out and do these things, but it, it was really a, a big leap for, for Jordan to come forward and do that. So we were very, very honoured that he, he used our platform to do so. And I mean... As we got into the interview, I think he really warmed up and he got a little bit more comfortable, but it certainly isn't easy for him to do. And we're very grateful he did it. And hopefully people listening can can take a bit of strength about that for coming forward if they're battling with anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, right? I think it was for, for someone like Jordan, who is a, he's a professional footballer and he, he plays at a very good standard and, and has done for a while and came through a, a, top academy at Wolves but to do something like this is alien to a lot of people and he was he was you know it was it was admirable of him to talk about such difficult times and such difficult things that he's gone through um whilst all the while still being you know st- still st- still, still yeah exactly and still holding down that career which must have been really difficult and we always have a theme do you want to tell the listeners what what the theme is for this episode yeah, uh, so the theme for this episode that, that we chose uh, is being honest with yourself and recovering from a mental breakdown. Um, obviously, it's a period that Jordan talks about really openly and honestly, and it's um, it actually gave us an insight into what it's like to be be a you know having to do your job and be a footballer and be in front of two thousand, three thousand, five thousand fans a week and and going through that. Um, it's something that I think. If you've gone through those times in life, you can only kind of tell others about how that was. You know, we've had, I mean, Danny, I don't think you mind me saying, we've both gone through times where, you know, we've we've struggled and, and it's completely different. What I felt is completely different to what you felt and how you go through it in work and in 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 life is, is completely different as well. So to put a, a sporting... Uh, perspective on that and, and try and go and have to be competitive and win and when actually I mean I know I felt I didn't want to do any of that I didn't want to be involved in it I couldn't handle it if someone had, had said you know I mean I used to go and try and play cricket so if someone had chatted to me my head would have fallen off like I couldn't couldn't have handled it if someone had gone oh you're not very good I would have I would have broke down again it would have been awful so I think it to have that as your job and that is your livelihood that's got to be, I mean, I think we asked him as well. It's got to be the most difficult thing you can go through. So, yeah, being being able to recover from that, he's just, you know, signed a two-year deal with Solly Hull, whose squad, by the way, is absolutely brilliant. Um, have a little look at that. It's superb. They're doing okay in the National League. And a, Ian Hart really there, difficult... is he? No, he's not. But, um, yeah, Stephen Gleeson is, though. Is he? <laughs> yeah, good player. That's superb. Um, yeah, um, so uh, doing well in, in the National League as well. So, you know, in a, in a difficult period for that division, for footballers mm. of a lower league as well, which is something we spoke about with him as well. So it's just fantastic. To, it was a fantastic interview. Really nice guy, you know, genuine and just lovely to listen to. Yeah, and I think we, we, we do a lot of these interviews and we've spoken to quite a lot of former footballers. I think I think we've had a few sort of, current footballers but I think for someone like Jordan who's you know he's still relatively young and he's 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 a prof- current professional footballer playing in a decent standard I think it's a it's 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 still such a 
such an oddity for for someone in that position to to come out and talk about this type of thing in that detail that he did. So I thought it was it was commendable of him to do so, and I hope people take take a lot from it. As as Anne said, that's that's our theme. If if you come up with anything while you're listening and you want to, you know suggested to us for for a discussion something that you've picked up from from jordan's words then feel free to do so our email address is manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com and our twitter is at marking underscore man so we're now going to pass you over to jordan cranston and we'll see you on the other side you're listening to man marking And obviously the, the podcast itself is about mental health and, and mental health in football. Could you give us an idea as to why you agreed to do an interview for us, Jordan? Uh, obviously, as, as, as everyone knows, I've, I've recently came up public about um, my suffering with mental health over the past two years, 18 months, I would say. But obviously coming out to my family about a year ago and to my, my ex-partner as well. But obviously I've got the... After I came up publicly, I got a message from you guys to obviously wish me the best and everything. And I've seen what you've been doing and listened to one or two podcasts over the last couple of days. And obviously, I wanted to come on and obviously speak to people about my experiences of what I've, what I've suffered in life and in, in the professional game as well. But obviously, to help other people as well. Any people, any age, women, kids, men, even... Like go, I might want to go into schools and obviously speak to kids about it as well. So I'm just trying to put my point across about about what it is, how people in the professional game suffer and in life as well. Your early days, had you always had aspirations of being a footballer? Uh, my early days, um, yeah. Obviously, my, I was around my, my dad a lot and obviously he played, he didn't play at a, as a high level, but he'd play like Saturday and Sunday leagues. Obviously, I'd go down and watch and obviously kick around. And even so, I used to manage a team on a Thursday for like over 35s on where I used to train for Wolves at um, Aldersley Stadium. And then um, I would always go down just to like see what happens. But I would always always go and kick around with little friends and little tournaments as well. But I've always had the big aspirations of, um, of playing football as well from a young age. But I didn't know I would end up where I am, where I am now. And how old was you when you joined the Wolverhampton Academy? Um, I joined Wolves at the age of of seven, seven years old. I was playing for my um, my local team, um, Wensfield, not too far from me. And I got I got picked up from scouted by um, by Bob Bennett, a top man, top bloke. I've always got real admiration for Bob. He was always who's probably I would say one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. And obviously, he's been at the Wolves Academy as a scout for many years now. And um, so, yeah, I've been at Wolves from the age of seven and, and I continued through the, the youth ages there up until um, I got released at the age of age of 20. Obviously, your, your whole childhood and teenage years were at an academy. Um, was that just your sole focus then when you were in sort of secondary school and all your friends were looking at going to college? Was you just on that path to becoming a footballer? Um, um, at, at the time I was, yeah, from like being young age, I just wanted to play football, but I had a lot of, a lot of ups and downs during my time for the academy as well. I was like, from the ages of, from probably about 11, 12, 13, 14, I, I, I wanted to quit, to be honest with you, because I would always get like nervous before games, before training. I didn't want to 
at them ages, you want to you want to be around your friends, don't you? So yeah. I, would, I would always finish school. And my plan was finish school to go training. Other people, all my friends was to finish school and go and play out, go over the park and do whatever as, as teenagers would do. But I was literally grinded from that academy mentality from Wolves is to always, always be level-headed and train and focus on. So I didn't really have like a, a personal life. My personal life would probably come on a Sunday after training or after after games. That's That was my main focus. But I remember going to my dad at the age of 12, just like coming back from school and he was like, come on, we've got to get ready for training. And I'm just like, I can't even be arsed. I don't want to go no more. I just want to quit. Because at the time, I wasn't really getting along with the under 12s manager. He would always like belittle me, like kind of like talk down to me and whatever. And I'm I'm not in that mental mainframe yet at the age of 12 to even step up for myself and say something. So I'm just coming home and, and cry. I'd cry before going to training. I'd cry before games. I remember there's one instance where I'd, we was, I was thinking I was playing Liverpool at the under 12s. And all the lads have gone out to warm up and I'm just sitting in the change room. Like, I, can't, I don't want to go out there. I feel nervous. Like, I'm feeling sick. And my parents had to come in and speak to me and make sure everything was okay with me. And um, I, obviously, I got over it. My confidence came back. And at the end of the, at the, end of the under-12s, <laughs> Wolves offered me a four-year four deal. Wow. And at, at what, 12, 13 years old? Yeah, the age of 12 and 13, four years old. You, the the academy, I don't know if it's at any other academy, but if you if they want to continue you to, towards your scholarship or the under 16s, I'd say they would offer the certain players for your contracts to go to the under 16s and end there, and then you'll get your decision to come if they want to offer you a scholarship or not. So only a fair few of players got them the four year deals. But looking back on it now, I think it was kind of the right decision to where I am now to continue and carry on. Did that give you a bit of confidence then, moving forward, that they sort of trusted you with that length of time, for, for that length of contract? Um, at the time, how I was feeling at the time, I didn't think um, they would give me anything because I was going through so much. I just wanted to quit football all in all and just go back to Saturday League and Sunday League and play with my friends and be happy. But for, for, for the club to show me so much resilience in how I've approached myself and to show the courage that I've gone through for them to offer me a four-year deal was was actually a humbling thing to do and I can't thank them I can't thank Wolves enough for to, for the player I am and the career I've, I'm having now and outside of the the contract were they supportive with sort of your lack of confidence and a bit of, the bit of the suffering you went through or were they not aware of it? that was just just your parents um at the time I, w- I wouldn't really tell Wolves. I would mainly, obviously, my parents know, knew because they was obviously witnessing it firsthand for me coming home and obviously them taking me to training and coming into the, the change rooms to, like, boost my confidence up and everything. But I remember I was at under-11s. Under I had one Pacific manager that I always wanted to, always wanted to work with called, um, called Des Davis. And I, when I moved to under-12s, he, he, I think he left for, for personal issues. I don't remember. But we had a, we had two completely different managers who I've never worked under. So they always thought that they was better than who they was. Obviously, they came from the professional backgrounds and always tried to, like, drill their mentality into teenage boys, basically, like year eights I was in at the time. 
and they would they would think we were grown men the way they could treat us. And obviously, I lost my confidence from that. And when I came to under-13s, he came back. So as soon as I signed my four-year deal, I was with him from under-13s and 14s up until I was 16. So my confidence just grew from there. And and I signed. they offered me a two-year scholarship when I was halfway through my under-16s, when I was, I was playing with the under-18s regularly. And uh, I remember we was travelling to the under-18s at the FA Youth Cup game when I was in the squad. And I had to go on early because the academy manager at the time was offering me a, a two-year scholarship. And that was, I was obviously happy at the time and I just couldn't wait to, to get, obviously get, finish school and continue my scholarship for the next two years at a club I was, I've always grew up, grew up through, through the academy as well. Do you think if the coach never came back, you would have gone as far as you did? Or do you think he was that influential for you? Um, I would I would say so because... I know I, I, I bumped into him the other day, not too long ago, and obviously he's still he's the kind of guy who wants to see the best year. Because when I was going when I was going through the academy, his nephew Mark Davis was in and around the first team, so he kind of knew what he wanted from his nephew and from younger lads. So he would treat them. They he would come up to us and just say, "Be happy, play with a smile on your face," and that's what you need from a coach. You don't need coaches just telling you. And try and belittle you yeah, as as smaller than like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? But yeah, he would he would always just come in and just have a smiling face, come in, be happy. If you're not doing things well, I'll help you out. He was he was the kind of manager where you would he was a trustworthy manager, and you'd go out and do anything for him. Do you think there's an an issue in academies in general where they forget sometimes how young the players are, and they almost go a bit too far with it? Um, speaking from my time for the academy compared to compared to now, I don't really know how academies are run now. But from my experiences, I didn't we didn't the clubs didn't really help in the aspects of like if say players wanted to quit, they wouldn't really know what to do and suffer firsthand. But I think I only found out a change when I was a, when I was a scholarship. Like I don't we had two men come in who would give us talks about obviously the the mental health and how they suffered. I, Jeff Whit- I remember Jeff Whitley. Remember Jeff Whitley? Yeah, they played for Man City. Yeah, Jeff Whitley yeah. used to come in every week on a on a Wednesday when we used to finish finish school because we did a B Tech sport compared with the football as well. So he would come in and tell us about his first hand experiences of what he's what he's been through and what he's what he's what he was currently going through at the time and he would help us as well to prepare for if we got into that kind of mental state as well. So I would say that really helped me at the time as well. I listened to what he's got to say. Yeah, I think he spent time at the sport and trans clinic um, yeah. after being addicted. Um, I don't know if it was drugs or alcohol or both, but um, yeah, I think he's done some great work, which is it's always good, especially at that age, isn't it? To, to see someone who's been through the game and played for the country and sort of tell you what lies ahead, essentially, if you're not yeah, too careful. Definitely. Definitely. In, in terms of then your, your latter stages at Wolves, I believe you, you did get a pro contract in you after your scholarship. Yeah, um, I got offered a, a, a one year with a, a year's option. And um, obviously when I found out I was getting a, a professional contract at my, I would say, Boyle Club, and I've gone, I've rose for the academy from every age group. It was, um, it was um, 
a massive achievement for myself personally and a massive achievement for my family compared to what I was going through when I was under 12, when I could have, when I could have just quit and just left. I did, I could have been anywhere. But for them to show me the, the faith of, of playing every age group above my, my age range from under 18s, for them to offer me a, a pro was, was very humbling. And I couldn't, I couldn't thank them as, as, as more than I can. Yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of lads go through academy systems and, and, and only very few like you turn professional at the end of it, don't they? So that must have been a, a great achievement, as you mentioned. When it came to your time being up at Wolves, how did you take it and how, how did they go about it? Did they offer any support at all? Because you're still fairly, obviously, young at the time. Yeah, at the time, when I, I remember the, the day, literally com- completely, I remember everything step by step, the day the day went. I remember getting um, getting called into the office and at the time, the season before, the season prior, I was I was doing well. I was playing every game from the 23s, training with the first team and um, I couldn't be I couldn't be more consistent with my, my football level at the point. So I remember going into, into the, the boardroom and I was, remember speaking to the academy manager at the time, Kevin Fowler, and he looked, he was just looking at me like, and I remember, I remember his exact words, he was like, we, Jordan, we don't know what to do. It was like, we don't know whether to keep you on or offer you a deal. Because, you know, and for someone, for you to hear that, for me to hear that personally, he was like, I didn't think if they made a, a full-on concluded decision at the time, because they could have done anything. They could have offered me a year and sent me out alone. But they, I don't think they was too upfront with me and honest to just say, oh, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know whether to offer you a deal. So I thought the easy option was to do for Wolves being promoted that season was to get rid of me. And I'm not going to lie to you. I came home and I was crying. I was crying for my parents because I've gone through the, the whole youth system, two-year professional I did. And for you to give me a reason like that was kind of heartbreaking at the point. You could have just been straight up honest with me and said, look, we're going with this plan for next season. The manager doesn't see you as plans. But for, for them to say, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know whether to offer you a deal or or to keep or to, to get rid of you or to keep you, sorry. It was heartbreaking and tough to take. But at the time, I wouldn't say they would, they reached out for me for moral support. I was just it was kind of like, you have to get on with it and... I was in a big wide world at the time for being grown up through a youth system and having basically everything done for me, going into the change room, my kits laid out and everything for to realise now, fuck I'm I'm in the real world now and I have to go and find fend out for myself. Yeah, exactly. And it's, especially since being there since you were seven, like you must have been in such a routine and it's a great academy up at Wolves as well. So when you then found yourself in, in non league, was that like a huge culture shock? Um, at, yeah, at the time, I remember just coming towards my last stages at Wolves. I remember going on loan to a money in town for the month. And for me to go out and witness uh, being in a man's game at the age of 19, such a, in the conference, was actually a massive learning curve. I remember my first game was at Braintree away. And I remember going, I met the squad that day on the coach and I didn't really know anyone. So I was kind of like by myself. But I kind of, I, I didn't know at the time that I knew the guy who was playing live literally lived around the corner from me called uh, Phil Trainer, so I was kind of like I, m- I made friends with him on a personal level and I would travel in with him, but it was actually a massive reality check for myself to um, 
to go to Nuneaton again from getting released on Wolves on a non-contract basis because I was getting paid from the age of 16 and going to Nuneaton on a non-contract basis by just pay-as-you-play. So it was a massive reality check for me to even think about that could just happen in the space of a year. Yeah, but they part-time were they in Nuneaton? At the time, yeah. So I was in a full-time routine being at Wolves. Every day I was training and I've, I've gone to Nuneaton and it was part-time. It was training Thursday for, and Tuesday and Thursday nights. So I'm, I didn't know what to do the rest of the week because I would train Thursday and Friday and play Saturday. So I was think I was debating about looking for a job and stuff like that. But I knew from getting released on walls, I knew I was I was good enough to play better than um, the conference. No disrespect to it, but I knew I was better than playing at this level. So I was determined to um, to long it out and see where it gets got me. And I remember playing one game, and then um, my old youth team manager got in contact with me and says, "Look." This is the situation down in Notts County. We want you to come down. The manager, Sean Derry, wants you to come down, have a trial and see where it goes from there. And that's where my career started at Notts County from, from that one phone call and that one trial. Yeah, because you'd obviously had a good youth career at Wolves and you'd played for Wales under-19s, I think, a couple of times. Um, did you just sort of take Nuneaton because it was lo local-ish and a bit of an easier option at the time? Or was, was there uh, any full-time clubs... Uh, got um, before Notts County. Um, at the time when I got released on Wolves, I think I had I was on a lot of trials. I was on trial at Wrexham, uh, Burton Albion, and um, I didn't. I was doing the whole trial at Burton, but at the time I think Burton was in League Two under Gary Rowett. So I played a couple of pre-season games there, and I think they offered me a contract, and then suddenly I was ready to sign, and it fell through because the owner. Didn't wasn't paying out as as much. I want. I'm not saying I was on great money at Wolves, but it was. I was asking for relatively close to what I was on at Wolves at Burton, and I think the chairman just turned away from the contract. So I ended up going up to wreck someone on trial and with Kevin Wilson. So I was travelling every day from Wolverhampton to Wrexham just to to train for the next over pre-season, and I didn't. I didn't get off nothing there and. The last option was for me to go back to Nuneaton because I was already on loan there previously. And you've mentioned that being away from home was something you struggled with in your career. It's often quite glamorised lifestyle of a footballer, but is it a lot harder than what meets the eye? Yeah, definitely. I'm, from being at Wolves, I was living at home for the for the last twenty years prior for me to then moving. I remember going to Notts County. And um, I was travelling in with one of my mates who was, at the time, Zeli Ishmael. We were both from Wolverhampton, so we'd car school and share. And um, I remember my dad coming up to me saying, you can't keep doing this every day. You need to go up there and share share an apartment with someone. So um, I came to con the conclusion of me to move up there and move away from home for the first time. And um, I think you, looking back at it now, even though I was at Notts County for 18 months, I think it was kind of like a fairly... Um, bad decision on my part to, to move up move up there for being a young lad at 20, 21 in a, in a massive city like Nottingham and having some of the things I've heard about there, the, the party life and the reputation of, of what goes on around Nottingham. I think he just got the better hand of me. So I kept on like, I would go out most of the time with, 
I had, I met a couple of, I made some friends up there and my friend was going to uni up there. So we kind of like knew the basis of having like promote, club promoter friends and like getting into clubs. So that kind of like sucked me in a, li a little bit. So I was kind of like neglecting my time at Nuts County. And I was kind of like mixing it up with the lifestyle of partying and uh, and training as well. So that kind of hit hit reality check to me as well. As someone who's been to Nottingham a few times to watch football, it just sounds like you're telling us you went to Hooters a few times there. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I've been to Hooters uh, uh, <laughs> a fair times. Yeah, but like I said, um, you got the best of me being up there. I try. Obviously, I was only I signed for Notts County on a on a only till September and uh, I remember playing every game in League One like even jumping from the conference to League One was a massive another massive reality check it was crazy to even make my, my debut against Peterborough under, under against Marcus Madison who's playing who's played championship for a good standard now and um, yeah. and after that after playing that I remember Sean Derry offered me an 18 month deal and I was buzzing because for me to a couple of years, a couple of months prior to be at Nuneaton and uh, to go to Notts County and to, for them to show faith and trust in me to offer me a longer deal was was pleasing on my hand as well and for my family as well because I knew I was I was I could achieve more than what I was doing at the conference level. And how did you find sort of meeting new teammates, uh, new coaching staff? Did, did you settle in? I know you said probably maybe. Partied a little bit too much even there, but how, how do you find them scenarios when you do walk into a new club? Obviously, being being around the area in Wolverhampton, I had, a, I had a lot of friends, and moving to Nottingham was a massive reality check to make new friends and meet new people and new management staff was was kind of hard for me to go in the first day. I I knew the the youth team manager who was at Wolves was already there, so I kind of had like a close bond and relationship with him. And you know when you're just growing up through like youth teams, you know players just playing against them and and stuff like that. It kind of like gelled, and people at the time, Notts County, didn't really have um, an academy team, so all their players around my age is already with the first team. So I was kind of like integrating with them and latching on, latching on with them. So it was, was kind of helped being a, in in that age range and making friends with them. So I'm still friends with some of them now, and some of them are still still playing at. A, at a decent level now to speak yeah definitely it's like, it's like that football and family isn't it and obviously we touched on it a little bit in the in the intro but the reason we reached out to you Jordan was during mental health awareness week you bravely spoke out about your own personal struggles um, yeah. which seems to think have been a bit later on in your career do you know sort of like what the catalyst for that was and can you can you remember when your negative thoughts first started um, I would my negative thoughts would say, um, when I was still in Notts County, when I was still under, I did, I went alone to Lincoln. Sean Derry sent me off to Lincoln and swapped me for another player from Lincoln. So that kind of like, I wouldn't say hurt me a little, hurt me. It, it did hurt me because I'm thinking I've played under you for, for so long and for a swap deal to, for me to go back to, to non-league at Lincoln, who, who were a decent side at non-league level at the time when I went. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to go out, prove people. I to, it was like a proving people wrong basis again for me. I had to go down and prove people wrong. So I went to Lincoln. I did well. 
played played about fourteen games there, got my confidence back up. And at the, when I was on loan at Lincoln, uh, Notts County, sacked Sean Derry when they was in a decent position, just in mid table. And I remember going back. I, I got recalled, and I remember going back, and I'm thinking, and they just got a new manager. I don't know what his name was. Was um, Ricardo Moniz, I think, who who had no experience in in English football or at League Two level, at League One level, sorry, at the time. And I remember coming back and he recalled me back and I did a training session thinking, because all the other left-backs were injured, so that's why I got recalled. And I was I did a training session and we had a game the next day. And um, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I got told I was going to play that game and they, they ended up playing the centre-half at left-back. So I'm thinking, what the fuck? You've called me back for nothing when I could have stayed at Lincoln and carried on to the end of the season or whatever. So and it kind of it kind of like jeopardised from there. So like he would always like leave me on the bench and play centre halves at left back, and that's where I kind of like felt unwanted at the club kind of thing. And I remember him pulling me at the office at the end of the season, saying, "Look, you're not in my plans or whatever for next season." But I said to him, "Look, you ain't even you call me back. You haven't even played me. You haven't even like gave me a chance." So he was like, "No, I'm sorry. You have to go and find a, a new club." So. There's me again at the same situation when I was at Wolves, going to find another club again. But I said to myself again, I said to my parents, I said to my agent, look, you can say you can get rid of me, but I've got another year left. I've got another year to prove myself. So I've gone back, I've gone, come back the next summer, did pre-season, trained, tried to be in his eye, proved, tried to prove him wrong, but then come to pre-season games, he just left me out completely. Did not, did not play me in the teams, in the pre-season games. Billy, he, he had a squad, he had a bomb squad, a squad of six, and I was part of that bomb squad for the, and I got transfer listed, so I was training with the youth team and not even playing youth um, pre-season games with the first team, so, and that's that's where I ended up losing a bit of confidence, and I thought, you know what, I'll, I've got to leave, and that's where the call to, for me to go to up north, the gates had started as well. Yeah, it's a shame because it's a, it's a big club, not counting. I think they just had a few years of turmoil, didn't they? And yeah, the, the owner wasn't very well liked, and he kept making strange decisions, as you said, brought monies in, and it, it's it's the players that suffer, where the players and the fans that suffer, isn't it? So yeah, you talked there about being away from home, and then you obviously have to make the the trip to Gateshead, which is even further away again. Uh, how how did you find living up there? Um, when I found out I was going to Gateshead, it was kind of I was I was I was thinking like who the hell are Gateshead? I've never heard of Gateshead in my life, so I'm like Google Maps in where Gateshead is on the map, and I'm <laughs> thinking Jesus Christ, it's all the way like by Newcastle, like Durham, like the northeast, and I'm thinking, do I really want to go up there and move even further away from home? Because bearing in mind, Notts County is an hour and a half away from me, but Newcastle is a different kind of thing for me to go back home. It's like over four and a half hours just drive and then a train. So I thought, you know what? It's an it's a it's they're in the conference. I've heard positive things about them. I've, I've heard good things about them. So I thought I said to my parents, look, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna it's an I'm gonna go and prove people wrong again and going back to proving people wrong. I've got to prove people wrong. So I ended up going up up north to Gateshead and um signing a year's contract there under Malcolm Crosby, the manager was at the time. And um, yeah, I in, I kind of enjoyed my six months there at, at Gateshead. But obviously, he was obviously that thing about moving home, missing family members, not going home regularly, and um, 
not getting not getting to chill with your friends and uh, making new, more new friends up in the northeast as well. So yeah, it was a, it was a tough tough period throughout that time with Gateshead as well. Yeah, I've been to Gateshead once, but I didn't take my glasses, so I can't say so much of it, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Bit of a distance, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, um, if we arrive at you, you, you went to Cheltenham after that, I think. Was you part of that team that got promoted? Yeah, I've, when I, in January, I left to go to Cheltenham. And I, when I heard Cheltenham came in for me in the January, I was like, yeah, let's get it. Let's get it done forward. Let's get it done as quickly as possible. And I remember at the time I was sitting in, in the barber shop in in Gateshead, and I got a phone call from the because the manager Malcolm Crosby got sacked, and I remember getting a phone call from the assistant manager who got sacked as well, saying, "Oh, Cheltenham have came in for you. This is what they're going to offer you. How do you feel like? How do you feel about it?" I was like, "Yeah, definitely." I was straight away onto the phone to my parents. I was like, "Let's get it through." And I remember because the two clubs, I, I went for a. A, a fee because I had six months left so um, Gateshead wasn't allowing me to go on a just to walk out my contract so Charnham had to pay for me and I remember when I moved to Charnham the, the manager at the time Neil Aspin came out on the, the radio saying I came up with a, with a statement saying um, obviously it's my, top, my time at Gateshead came out unfortunate circumstances but it's hard living away from home and for me to move closer to home and go to Cheltenham is, is a massive opportunity. And I remember him coming out to the media saying, I'm not going to have players who don't want to be here, not be here. So for me to hear that was like, what like, I, what, what are you going to say that about me for? I've personally told the club that I want to go back home. I've, I've lived four hours away from home. I miss my family and I'm, I'm feeling homesick. So for him to come out about and say that about me was kind of like a, kind of a kick in the teeth and a disrespectful thing to say. But yeah, I've moved to, to Cheltenham only an hour and a half away from me. And um, I felt happy being back at home. I was li- I felt back in my comfort zone, living at home with my parents and um, seeing all my friends again and, and again, making more new friends. But I, at the time, I remember playing against Cheltenham because I, I scored a free kick against them. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, I remember celebrating because obviously where, where Gateshead Stadium is, they've got the racetrack around it. So it's not exactly like you can run into the crowd. I remember like running <laughs> over the, I remember over the Cheltenham's um near Cheltenham's dugout, kind of like saying I'm gonna score the free kick, I'll put my arms out saying, Yeah, what, that's it, what you gotta say, I'm the man like kind of thing like because <laughs> that's my first goal, a professional goal I score, so I didn't know what to do. So and You only score I, good goals, don't you? Yeah, I don't score tappings. Every goal <laughs> every goal I've scored is kind of like either from forty yards or a little shank, I would say. <laughs> But um, yeah, I moved to Cheltenham because they was keeping tabs on me and keeping up with my progress. So I was kind of happy that I was I was moving to a club who was on the verge of promotion and, and for success as well. Yeah, I must admit that was Tramia's first ever season in non-league. Um, bit of a culture shock, but that year Cheltenham were just above everybody by by a considerable distance. They did. They looked like they were going to win the league from the first week, and they did win the league quite comfortably in the end. And they so yeah. Obviously, nice for you to be settled neither to home and get a promotion under your belt and then obviously play in League 2 again the following year. Yeah. If we just jump forward then to, to your time at Morecambe where you, you came out with that article quite recently, really, talking about um, your battles and in particular at the time, Jim Bentley, who actually yeah. doesn't live too far from us on the Wirral. Um, yeah. 
said he was really supportive of you. That that must have been a huge relief at the time when your manager reacts that well to, to what you're saying. Yeah, that's unbelievable from any kind of manager. But I've got the most most respect for Jim Bentley and um and Kenny as assistant manager at the time when I when I moved to Gateshead, Erton uh, Gateshead, sorry, Morecambe, I got released from Cheltenham. I remember and coming back on terms with me being being down in myself and whatever. I remember playing um, against Luton on my birthday, my 24th birthday, and I remember getting um, badly injured. I ended up getting an operation on my hamstring, which kept me out for the next four or five months. So obviously that's an, another reality check for me to have a massive injury like that. And um, just for me to be at home and not training and being away from teammates and friends to bring you back up was kind of hard on me as well. So I would, I would always sit in my room and I would have no social dis- I would have no social life with my friends. All I would have was my phone. And that knocked me down as well. That knocked me down. And that's what gradually turned for me with what I'm what I'm suffering with now kind of like stems from that a little bit with an injury. And for me to go to Morecambe and move, I would say, even further away from home again under under Jim and Kenny was was massively because I had, I had offers to stay near home. But I thought to myself, I've gone up. To work my way back up, back up to the league, but I wanted to stay in the league and prove myself because I, I had like a quite a hard time at China with the fans as well. The fans would always be on my back if I wasn't performing well and whatever. So that that was another confidence knocker from me as well, for me as well. Are you somebody move. who's tough on themselves? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely tough on myself. If if I have one bad game or make a mistake. I remember my, when I moved to Morecambe, I was doing so well in pre-season, like playing every pre-season game, doing well. My confidence was sky high for the roof. And I remember the first game came, we played um, Crew Alexandra. And at the time, Crew, I went to go and see Crew. I was meeting with Crew because Crew were interested at the time as well. But um, unfortunately, the uh, contract couldn't get agreed. So I ended up moving to Morecambe and that was my first game to play against them. So I had another point to prove against a team who was was after me as well, so I and we ended up losing six 0 But I remember having a meet. We all had a meeting about the game, and obviously it was my first meeting with the, like the Morecambe lads and going over game reviews. And it it kind of felt like because I've never been in that situation before where managers was, would would like pick you out for little things. So in my my I've grown up to be like outspoken and kind of have like a an a short-term temper, like a fuse. So I'd always like go up back at the manager, saying, "No, nah, this is not me. This is his. This is not my fault. I can't do nothing there." So I would always have like he would always tell me that he's never met a person like me who who like is outspoken and re- and like or retaliates. You know what I mean? So yeah, that's that's what I've grown up to be. I've always had like a short temper on on the pitch. Even if it's like an aggressive temper, I would always like with a referee would give a bad decision. I'd be like, ah, oh, I would f and blind the referee just because of like anger issues I've got. You know what I mean? So that's where it kind of stemmed from with the whole time being under under Jim. But yeah, like onto your question, Jim would when I came out to Jim, it stemmed from like I said when I came out, I had personal issues at home with um with my ex-partner and whatever. Like, I'm not going to get into, into like, the details, but I remember going through so much so much struggles and, and toughness through my relationship and even with my parents as well. 
like and obviously being away from home, I really, really wouldn't really get to come home that much. So I'd come home and um and always kind of like argue with my mom over like silly, stupid things and argue with my um, my ex partner over silly, stupid things. Even though he was like, he was my own down doing because of how, of how I felt at the time. So I would always like backlash at people who wouldn't really need to be backlashed at. So I'll just go keep going at them and going at them and going at friends and not seeing friends and just cause arguments and arguments over the wrong people. Yeah, to think as well when people like I've never played obviously at your level, but I've been in changing rooms before and lads just like to make jokes, don't they? And have fun and what we describe as banter. But when you don't know what someone's going through, like they might have just walked away from an argument, drove straight to training. It's easy to be in a situation where you might be at breaking point or you snap at somebody or you take something the wrong way that was just meant in jest. So imagine it all built up on top of you almost. Yeah, from being a professional professional view, from being in a change room, everyone from the outside thinks, oh, they have the most, I want to be a professional footballer or whatever because they have the most banter in the change room. Like, that's not the case. If you come into it, come into a um, a footballer's dressing room, you'd you'd get the banter. But if you're going through so much like I did, through from being back at home and not telling people the full story, like, I would literally... I remember I had a seat in the change room where I'll just sit in the corner and distance my way from people. Like game days, I wouldn't really social with people. I wouldn't like get jeered up how other people like get jeered up. I'm the kind of person who at game days, like the most laid back guy you'll ever met. Go you might think we got a game in about an hour and a half, but I'm just sitting there chilled, just like trying to concentrate on the game. And like I've I've always alliterate alliterated to people and teammates where obviously the assistant manager would like G you up and like say whatever but dude I'm not being disrespectful to Kenny but there was one point there was always the time where I'm just want to chill out and he would get in my face and I I don't like that I'm not that kind of person I'm thinking in my head like shut the fuck up like just get out of my face can't be arsed (laughs) but like it would would, would G me up in a way but I want to kind of like G myself up in that way to like calm me down in that in that mental state for you to not just get all up on face and 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 be like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Some people react differently. Some people want to kick up the ass. Some people want normal on the shoulder, and as you say, others might just want to be left alone to do their own sort of like pre-match ritual in a way. Um, at that point where you did come out and sort of discuss the troubles you were having, did at any point was you worried that that would have an an effect on your career at all? In terms of uh, prospects and what people might think. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a kind of yes and no answer. Like at the time where I, when I came out to um, to my ex partner and my family, and I was thinking, shall I shall I come out to the public? Shall I come out to um, anyone else? But for me personally, to suffer with that for the last eighteen months, two years, and it just built up to that point where I had one massive breakdown, and thinking, like I was only um, either. A, a year left at Morecambe and I remember coming back home and having that massive breakdown to my um, to my ex-partner and um, saying look I can't fucking do it no more I can't be asked to play for, like be at the club anymore I miss everyone I, I don't want to be there no more so that was kind of like running through my mind over the last um, couple of weeks prior to to me having a mental breakdown and not not being at, at Morecambe was was kind of was like 
bad at a point for me to say that and think that because I've done I've done so well for Morecambe the pro the previous season and they've helped me so much for me to give me that chance again to play in the in the league and for me to come out and say that too and think that is is um is bad on my behalf because I don't want to keep thinking about if I go through something as as bad as that to talk bad about a club and think now nah, fuck this I just want to walk away and just walk away from any, everything that what they've gave me and what I've gave to that club as well but um at the time when I came out a, a couple of weeks ago I felt like it was the right time because I've sat on it for a year and thought about it and I wanted other people to know that what I've gone through because only family and and um, obviously Morecambe and my agency know about what's going on with me um, personally, but for the the public to know and what I've what I've suffered and dealt with, it's massive because I want to help people in in a big way and a big change. And I've already had like people message me on um on my social media accounts and even like old old teammates. And I remember getting a text from my old physio when I was at Wolves saying, "Oh, Jordan, you're such a an inspiration to me. You've you I've known you for so long. You've came out, and I think it's time for me to come out. Can you like speak to me?" So I'm like on a basis where I want to help people as well. Now I've came out. I want to, I want to put that platform out to let everyone know to say that it's not, it's not bad to speak out on on what you're suffering with, and people can help you. You know what I mean? No, I think it's absolutely brilliant, mate. And I think it's great and refreshing when it comes from a current football as well, and not not to belittle anything that anybody who's done who's now retired, but. As you say, it's, it's an added platform, isn't it? When you see people at the top of the game saying, oh, I'm suffering. and it, it's, it's watched by a lot of people. It has a huge effect on a lot of young men as well. And yeah. when they hear that, it, it, it's the ripple effect that, that can make. So I think it took a lot of balls for you to do that and, and fair play to you. And one question I want to ask off the back of that is you've got another teammate, Kevin Ellison, who's obviously a lot older than yourself, but is someone yeah. who's been very vocal about it. Yeah. Is is he? Did he give you almost a bit of confidence to to speak out, or is that something you spoke to him about before? Um, at the time, you know, I think I think you all know what Kev's like. Obviously, he's all like, he's the 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 big the big guy. Like I've got the most utmost respect for Kev because when I've always previously played against Kev, I always thought Kev was a, a fucking idiot. You know what I mean? The way he goes, <laughs> he's the villain, isn't he? He yeah, plays into it. He's like the pantomime villain around clubs, but. If you if you speak to Kev on a personal level and if you get to know Kev, Kev is the most down to earth guy you'll ever meet. And for me to come out and at the time and come out to the manager who's helped me massively, and to come out to my um, my housemates as well. I was, I was living at the time was with Sam and Sam and Reese, and for me to come out to them as well was was kind of hard because I'm putting my backlash onto them as well because I'm living with them as well. So I didn't want to bring my negative energy into them. So I kind of like kept away from them. So I would speak to Kev because I know Kev's been through it. And also I would always speak to um, to Barry Roach as well, who's who's helped me massively as well. Like I still speak to to Barry and, and Kev now about how he, he's they're always asking me how I'm feeling and stuff like that. Like, don't get me wrong, through this lockdown, I've had like ups and downs, like the way how it's going on. Like I can't do nothing. So I kind of like, Try and keep myself energized and focused on like I, I like to exercise. I, I found a new hobby in like riding, just going out for for long distance walks and whatever like that. But like I said, Kev is 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 vocal. Kev gets his his point across because he's been through it and he's been through it massively. Even his time 
at the club, even the last even the last season, like Kev was in and out of the team. But I can't speak for Kev on that on that basis about the what the, the team is going through. But um Kev is 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 a massive inspiration to everyone. He's a massive inspiration to me for to look up to someone like Kev as well. And to be on the same team as him is 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 massive for me and massive for me to what gave me the the inspiration to speak out to other people as well. Yeah, that's brilliant to hear that uh, your fellow teammates were supportive and I echo everything you said about Alison there from, from the little I've, I've obviously had a short spell of family as well, but yeah. and a bit of aid about and I'm seeing on Twitter and things, he he, he does a lot for the course. And and just lastly on that, that article, Jordan, you referred to um, taking some antidepressants. Uh, are you able to sort of talk us through the process you went through to, to make it in front of your GP and seek help? Because that is obviously the hardest step most of the time in in all of this really is finally admitting it to the doctor and, and seeking that help that you may need. Yeah, it was a it was a massive, massive step for me. Um obviously I've got I can't say no I can't say a bad bad word about my ex partner like I've got the most utmost respect for her. Like she'd helped through the time when I came out and broke down. I broke down in front of her and she helped me. She forced me to go because she knew for a fact that I needed help because I was putting pain and and trouble onto her and onto my son as well at the time and I didn't want to go through that so I thought of, of the me being a, a freaking negative person and a selfish person to put so much pain and heartbreak on onto you two that literally she grabbed me by the neck and forced me to go to the, to my doctors and I went to, to the GP and I was, I was literally shitting my pants to walk into the GP and say look I've got I'm, I'm, I need help I've got and I've got I'm depressed, I've got anxiety, I've got PTSD, I've got anger issues, like what can you do to help me? So and yeah, I was I was I, I broke down crying in front of her about telling her and telling my family as well. Literally I I couldn't looking at my dad like my dad my dad I've got the most most respect for my dad. Like my dad's been there thick and thin, even from me growing up, like taking me to training and being there for me. Like to look him in the eye and say, Look dad I need help. I've got I've got problems. I've got alcohol problems. I've got depression. I've got anger issues. I've got PTSD and everything. Like I just don't want to bring that all on my family. So for me to to tell the to get help and seek help was was massive for me. And it's kind of like another platform, another stepping stone for me on the on my road to recovery as well. And what and what was your family's reaction like when you told them? Um, I remember when I was when I told my family, I remember getting a phone call from my dad saying, "Where are you?" And I was like, "I'm just out." And he's like, "You need to come home now." And I was like, "Oh shit!" Because obviously, when your dad says that, you think, "Oh shit, I'm in trouble." But um, yeah. I, I remember him. I remember sitting down in my um, ex partner's house, and my mom, her, and my dad was there. And literally, I couldn't say nothing as soon as my son walked through the door. I just literally broke down crying. And and I think that's when I saw my son. I think that was when our time, my time was for me to um, to book up my ideas and, and sort my life out and change for the best. Like, cause I didn't want to look at to watch him grow and watch people watch me grow up and think like I'm a piece of shit or whatever. Like you, you're nothing. You're worthless or whatever. Cause my dad's been, he's been there for my whole life and he's, he's seen me grow up to to the man I am now. And I want him to do that. I want to watch it. I want him to watch me grow up to the man I am. But, um, yeah, it was for me to come out to my family was was devastating and heartbreaking for the most. And like I like I can't thank um, everyone else, everyone that's helped me on this journey 
like they've been so so much so well to me and like checking up on me and, and whatever. But I've still got a long road long road to go. I've got I've got things to resurrect and and um work out with with certain people and and certain lifestyle choices, what I want to do. But yeah, I'm I'm still continuing to do that as well. Jordan, tell us what it's like trying to play a game of football when you feel in the way you feel at at that at probably your lowest points. How hard is it to walk out that tunnel, stand on that pitch and go, I've got to be the most competitive person on this pitch to win a game, to keep my job, to keep everything else going well. That's gotta be that I mean, saying it right now sounds yeah, ridiculously it's, hard. It's the worst thing I could I wouldn't wish on on anybody to even think like you for someone to go through depression while playing football and even when the season was on. So I remember coming out when all this, when it all came out, we was still, we was not even start the season. Like it, it continued all this break, breakdown and personal issues stemmed from the summer, which was leading into the season. So for me to go into that season and go to pre-season thinking everything's all right, I was literally doing what I'm doing now or what I was doing at the time. Like I would just train finish games and just go straight to my bedroom which is a lot more away from everyone and um, yeah it's it's the worst thing ever I remember being on antidepressants for like the first couple of weeks or so and, and still training but I felt so low I felt I had, like, I had no energy or nothing and um, I remember when I was we, we was playing Port Vale on the Saturday and I was I was still on the tablets and I was still having problems at home like personal issues and I remember going to the game like going into the game and going back to where, onto my point of with where I just want to like mellow out and and focus on the game. The assistant manager was getting in my face, and in, with everything built up from having arguments or whatever with with um, family members and personal issues with that stemming the game as well. Everything just built up, and I remember he was only he was half an hour into the game, and um, Barry took a goal kick, and I remember like a, a player just. N- tendency just accidentally elbowed me in the face and accidentally stood on me and I remember all that anger just built up yeah and I just literally just kicked out him for no reason just kicked out and got sent off and I thought another thing I, I thought like, I can't I was just thinking I can't do this no more like I have to tell my manager and I remember going to him speaking to um going to the gym saying uh Gaffer I apologize for getting sent off because he he knew he I could tell he knew he was like Jordan I know like, what's wrong with you? Just tell me. Because prior to that, I wasn't playing. I was out of the team for like the for a couple of games, and I would like with all the arguing and what I would just and I was always on the bench. And after the games, you do runs after and do the gym. But I just thought, fuck this, I can't be bothered. Like, if I'm if I'm feeling this low and not playing as well, I might as well just suck the running off and just go straight home. So I would, I would literally every game I wouldn't get on. I would fuck the running off the gym off and just get in my car and I'll be straight down the M6 and back home and just lock myself in the room and probably have more arguments with and just go out on, on the piss and just and, um, drown my sorrows from that and I remember going up to going up to gym and saying look I've got problems like I've got I've, I've been to the dentist uh, dentist doctor sorry and um, I've been diagnosed with having depression and, and anxiety and being put on antidepressants and um that's that's where you literally the first thing he did was he just gave me a hug and I think that's what I kind of needed from from someone he's just a hug to say everything's all right, okay and um, he gave me a, 
a week off from 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 football from the that's that professional lifestyle to just let me go back home and recoup and just spend time with my family and I think after that week being at home and sorting things out what I needed to sort out really helped me to come back and continue where I left off and just and just fly and get my confidence back as well. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? Because, you know, football is not really considered a normal job. But in a normal job, you would have been probably signed off with stress. And that's quite yeah. common. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's it, football is not really a job where you can do that, you know, halfway through the season or even at the start. And you're kind of constant in what, in what you have to do. You know, towards the end of the season, you're playing for a contract and then you've got to impress for the summer and, it's quite a it's quite a twenty four seven job, and when you're balancing it with a with everything else that's going on, that that must be really difficult. So when you get to the point where you've come out to the to the manager to the club and 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 told them what's going on, and and then you've come out to the public as well, did you feel relieved when you when you came out more to the public? Yeah, at the time when I came out to obviously my my family members and my ex partner at the time. And um, was was kind of like a step, a stepping stone for me to to uh, to step forward and continue with my confidence and to battle with what I was dealing with, and for me to go and tell the manager and to tell the club personally to say, look, I've got problems, and um, they was massively helpful as well with um, with me giving for me giving to give me that time off as well during the season was massive. Because, like you said, no other, like any other job would have just signed you off for six months. But obviously, being in in a professional environment, you gotta like um, see it out, or like to say. It. But for the, for the club to to give me a week off and to help me with my issues back home was really was massive for them. Because you wouldn't really you wouldn't really see it from any other club from what club I've been at, and from walking through that was was massive. And obviously, it was another stepping stone a year later to come out publicly and and let people know and let my friends know who haven't um who don't know from the front hand and from what I've been dealing with and I, even now my friends are still like fuck mate I didn't know like they don't know because I, I wouldn't really tell my friends because I was too scared to tell them because I wouldn't know what they would think of me so I would like I would put on a like a front on a different persona compared to when I was at home I would go out with them and just be a different person, you know what I mean, compared to being what I was at home and being around the football because f- football knew and my friends and my friends and um, other people didn't know. So I'd put on two different acts and two different fronts in front of many different people. And for me to come out publicly now, I can just I can just be one person and be myself and and work on the things that I need to work on and to help me become better personally in myself and professionally as well moving forward. Absolutely, and I think that's that's quite common with with a lot of people who get in, in those situations are often found spinning a lot of plates, aren't they, where they're trying to balance everything and trying to fit into different circles. Um, when you came out to the public and, and put it on Twitter, was it, I, I did see it, it was generally well-received, and I think that that takes away any any kind of, I can't think of a, a better phrase. Any knobheads who, who come towards you when you get so much yeah. well, like positivity, you know, and and you, you can ignore the ones who go man up and and this and that. You're kicking a bag of wind around, and I think when you do that, I think you, you know you're really commendable in the way that you've gone about it. And 
and just said, look, here I am. I'm a normal person like everyone else. And I, I think, you know, I imagine you, you're seeing the best of um, best support that you can get really through Twitter. Is that something that you, you'd agree with? Yeah, definitely. From what you said, I've, I've received a lot of, of lot of positive feedback from Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook. Even like on Facebook, I wouldn't really, I don't really indulge on Facebook that much. But to see people inviting me into group, uh, into groups about mental health and get messages saying if you want to, if you want to speak out, just, just drop a video or drop a message in, the, in, in this, in this chat. Then we can all, because we can all benefit from it. If I come out and say my wife uh, suffered with, it helps someone else. And if I can watch someone else's video, it helps me as well from what they suffer with. So it's kind of like a community, like. I wouldn't say, you know, it's a good community because everyone's like joining together as a, as a one big force to like get it out there. And obviously with the with this podcast as well, from what you guys are doing, it's a, it's a massive platform for, for for people to come and speak to you, or speak to family members, or even even speak to like any anybody in in the world. You can just drop anyone a message, like on Instagram. You see someone suffering, you can drop them a message saying, "Oh, I feel your pain. I'm, I'm going through this." You can help someone for the better. And it could help them just to hear what you said as well. Absolutely. And, you know, you're someone who relies on football for your livelihood. Um, you mentioned that you've got quite a young family as well. I think two going on to three for your, for your little lad. Um, I, I personally have a, have a little lad going on to the same age in October. I know how difficult it can be um, to do both of those things, to, to raise a child and, uh, and go through all of that. And it, it took me a little while to get used to it. Um, but I always had a kind of a permanent job and a permanent fixture. How difficult is it to have to go and pretty much display your talents every weekend to to keep these contracts coming in what is quite relatively a, a, a sh- can be a short career? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's definitely a short career in football. Like I think people could experience anything from a early retirement, uh, early injury, or whatever. But for me personally, to from suffering from what I've suffered from first getting released at Wolves and having non-contract contracts and finding where this next payday is going to come and signing year on year off contracts, like anyone could find out when the next contract's going to come. You don't know. So if if for example, if you sign a year's contract, you've only got a year to um, to perform. So anything could happen in that year. Touch wood, many players don't get injured or have troubles. As soon as you have first-hand witness that you're going to have a son and it's, it's he's here, then that's when reality hits you and you've got to, you've got to feed for your family and not think about yourself. Because I was like that, I'm not going to lie. I was like that. I, was, I wouldn't give a fuck about anything. But when my when I found out I was having a baby, that's when reality hit me and I thought, oh, shit, I'm having a baby now. I need to change sort my life out and change my life for the best and raise him and give him what he needs and give him what's best for for everybody and given the best life that uh, best life that he needs. And uh, Jordan, just um, just finally, just for anyone listening, do you have any advice you know that you'd give them if they're going through similar things to what you went to through? Sorry, um, you know, is there anything you'd specifically say you'd do first, or in, in any sort of sort of uh, routine or anything like that? Routine-wise, personally, every I would try and stay in a routine where, being obviously being a professional sportsman, I want to stay in that routine where 
if I would, I would, I would work lockdown as a training day, so I would, I would set my alarm for, for nine o'clock. I'd wake up, stretch, have breakfast, and try and try and stay in that mentality and structure where, as I was doing, as when I was at training, even like on a Saturday, I would still wake up like it was a game day. I'd still go for the same routine. But advice for advice personally, I would just I would I would speak to family members, speak to family members, um, join little WhatsApp group chats with any Facebook group because that would that would massively help you. People in that group chat, it could be anyone. You can make friends. Like I've made so much friends now from just coming out from that one tweet. Like people have been messaging me saying, "Oh, I feel your pain. If you want to speak to anyone, if you want to speak to me, speak to me." So, yeah, I'll just get out there. Like try and stay level-headed. Keep remaining positive during this lockdown, and any anywhere can get you. Just think positively because I've been saying to everyone, even my friend, my my close friend is is has been suffering this lockdown as well and I've been speaking to him about it saying he wants to turn his life around I'm like mate I've been there all you need to do is just sort your life out think positively stay in a routine and just go and get it just wake up every morning and just look in the mirror and say yeah I'm going to do this I'm going to go and get it I'm going to do this I'm going to change my life that's all I'm, that's all I say is I'm going to change my life my front screen I look at my phone every morning it's my, it's my son so that just gives me a, a start off Gives me a head start in front of everyone. So, so yeah, that's my my advice to everyone: is just that don't suffer in silence and, and speak out because we're all together and we can all help people who's who's suffering really, really bad as well. Welcome back. We're still still here, still with Anton Ryan. Hope you enjoyed Jordan's interview there. I, I think quite a lot to to dissect, quite a lot to to take away from that. Something that that I picked up from from listening to Jordan and something that's, that's it's kind of come up in, in, in a number of different guises through some of the other interviews that we've done is around the kind of different personalities that you find at football clubs. And when we speak to people who are generally former footballers, they're all very kind of driven or one-track minded, a lot of them, and you can see exactly why they'd be able to focus and put themselves in that position to get to the career that they've had. Jordan it was quite an interesting one, really, because he spoke about being really young and being very upset when he was at Wolves Academy and it almost having his parents having to talk him into keep keeping on playing and, and him not wanting to do it anymore and the anxiety that he felt as a young man about being nervous and or maybe even letting people down. And I thought that was quite interesting to have somebody who's clearly, probably, you know, even as an adult is still quite a sensitive person working in that environment. Ryan... We've obviously done lots of these interviews, the three of us. I suppose listening back to that, how did you kind of feel about hearing somebody who's maybe got you know, a little bit more of a more sensitive personality, sort of finding their way through what can be a difficult environment in the professional football? Yeah, I thought that while he was um, quite a sensitive individual, his sort of coping mechanism was quite shielded and quite aggressive. And I think that probably doesn't help because I think people automatically assume when somebody's quite alpha and quite aggressive that they can handle things. And I think it's a bit of a general misconception and one we need to maybe look at a little bit deeper because he often talked about he'd like to be in the changing rooms by himself. Um, he would snap at people. He would he'd get, a, as I've mentioned, aggressive, uh, angry with them. And I think when people are like that, the attitude can almost be like, well, fuck him then I'm not helping him do you know what I mean yeah. type of thing when really it could 
be seen as a cry for help. Like this person's snapping for a reason. This person isn't where they need to be. And it happens to all of us. It's happened to myself. I was a bit like that recently with a few people where you just kind of react in a way that you wouldn't normally react. And it's easy to push people away. And I think by doing that, it's actually harder to get help. If you see somebody physically break down in front of you, then your natural reaction is, oh, this person needs help. When somebody snaps back at you, you kind of think, well, all right, no need to have a go at me. That's like kind of response. And I think he was almost victim to that a little bit because I think there was times when he clearly was struggling. And unfortunately with Jordan, it sounded like it, it had to hit um, sort of break point before anybody picked up on it rather than somebody picking up on it early. And I mean, I mean, none of us are trained really to know how to deal with that when it happens. Unless, obviously, you've grown up, maybe someone in your family's been a mental health nurse or a doctor or somebody in your immediate circle. Nine times out of ten, we just we, we break down when it becomes too much. And unfortunately, that's often too late. Uh, what's good about Jordan is I think he's now in a position where when it does happen, he kind of knows how to deal with it a little bit better himself. But as you say... Um, that was probably going on a little bit when he was at Wolves and when he was a young man. And then it's, it's hit home as an adult when he's, a, when he's a parent, when he's in relationships, he's got proper responsibilities, mortgages, people to support. And it's difficult really because he never would have known or probably suspected he, he would ever go through that. He probably just thought, oh, I'm just feeling a bit low or I'm feeling a bit moody. But in reality, that the signs were there. Um so I there's, think there's probably an element of that as well, right? Where you know, without obviously without wanting to sort of speculate on 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 kind of Jordan's yeah. psyche, but there's probably an element of that where, as you say, there was a lot of it was he talked himself, didn't he, about having a short fuse, and he said mm-hmm. he had a bit of a temper, and there's probably a lot of it where he probably thought of himself as being quite angry, yeah, and there was probably a lot of it was kind of maybe anxiety or pencil frustration or whatever Absolutely, it might be, yeah. and that was the he didn't know how to communicate that any other way other than, than anger. I think that's probably something that a lot of young men suffer from. I liken it to if you ever if you ever have that situation where you might have a few things going on at once and somebody asks you a question and you kind of just go, oh, in a minute I'm dealing with this. Now, in the grand scheme of things, that's just like an everyday thing that most of us do. But when it's not just little things like responding to a phone call or an email or someone asking you what you want for tea and that's how you react, if it's stuff like, breakdown of a relationship or children are involved or it could be something going on with your career or your personal life and they're the things that are adding up in your snap the implications are so much bigger so I think that he was probably a little bit too hard on himself when he was younger um, and probably just needed a little bit of guidance but what I would say is he's dealing with it in the right way now and, and sometimes the only way to learn from these experiences is to unfortunately suffer through them yeah, I think that's really true. And, and and you mentioned there, Ryan, about, you know, how he started to deal with things when he became a father and started to deal with things when he mm-hmm. had his own family. And Ant, you've spoken in that episode. There was a nice little bit of that episode, I thought, where you and Jordan were talking about maybe some anxieties or some some fear or whatever it might be around when you were you you are having to come to terms with God, I'm going to be a father, or you know, the, the baby's on the way, or the, you know, trying to, to circumnavigate those things. And you talked before the 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 interview today about sometimes that you've had where you've had periods of of, of depression and anxiety and, and whatever they might be, and you've also had to deal with with raising a, a child and, and and having a family as well at the same time. What kind of added pressures have, have you found from 
having to go through those difficult periods whilst also, you know, being being responsible for another another human being, to put to put it lightly. Um yeah, it it's not it's not easy at all to 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 be honest, to go through anything about like a low mood or, or anything like that and and go through like there's kind of like side effects to it as well. You don't eat right, you, you feel a bit well, it's easier for me anyway. I didn't eat right, didn't feel didn't feel comfortable on my own, didn't feel happy, teary. It you know, it's not it's not a great sight for anyone, really. It's not a not a great thing to experience. And I felt quite sick. So to to even have the thought of trying to look after uh, you know, a little one, someone who needs your needs your help is really difficult at the time. My you know, I live with my partner and her mum. Um, and you know, obviously, the the British way is to make jokes about the mother-in-law, but it was absolutely fantastic to have that help. It was, it was something that was needed, um, and it allowed me to just kind of focus on on what I could do. Um, obviously, didn't rely on her heavily, and you t- kind of take the 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 reins back when you get a little bit more footing. Um, you know, you're back in the race, and you you're going along nicely. It's difficult being a father. It's difficult being a parent. It's not something I would ever say, you know, a moan about at all in that way. But there are, particularly when you're young, I think there are areas that you just have no idea what to do and how to handle it. The ones I found were how to handle, like, family interactions. I felt, you know, the the start of, of being a father... I was getting pulled from pillar to post to show him off. And it's great on one hand, you're getting all these like little presents, you're getting, you know, all these people coming around and congratulating you. It's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. That's not the bit of moaning about, but it's the balancing of it all mm-hmm. when it gets down to, you know, where are we going for this this meal or where are we going this, where are we at birthdays and Christmases? And it gets a little bit overwhelming. And it might just be me, but it gets a little bit tricky. And it's just about trying to find your voice, really, I think. And it, it, it is, for me, it was about trying to find my voice, about trying to say, look, hang on, I, I'm a dad, I can control this. If I don't want to do something, I don't have to do something. I think in terms of looking after um, after the child, you just kind of get thrown in. You know, I think there's a funny um, funny picture which I might put up on on um, Twitter. When Hannah was going into, into labour, we were... I was more worried about getting a takeaway on the Friday night and then a text there saying what you want. And then I think the next text that we send each other is, is a picture of the baby. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was where I was at. And I mean, I was talking to her going, oh, I, I didn't even know how to do nappies, didn't know how to do anything. And you're just kind of thrown in and you're going on adrenaline. And it's hard. Like, you know, I've spoken to a couple of people who've, who've recently had kids and they've gone through the same thing where it is hard. It is hard to adjust. For some, it's it's very difficult. I know of the stories, the and they, they seem quite drastic. That I think it's just more of a reaction to. I think as a, as particularly as a young lad, I mean, when I first found out, I was panicking all day, all day panicking. I panicked about money. I panicked about you know my life afterwards. I mean, even things like oh, I'm never gonna have sex again. I don't have much sex now, so I don't, I don't really care. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like you know, thinking like I'm Patrick Swayze or something. It was ridiculous. You, you know, 
it, it, it's one of them. Aloof fault it, loose. <laughs> those are the, yeah, those are the things that go through your mind, and it's just such a whirlwind. And it, it'd be the things that, that go through, you know, uh, a, a female's mind as well. There's do you a lot find? Do you find? I, I I suspect Hannah probably wasn't thinking she was Patrick Swayze at, at any point. <laughs> do you do, do you find that? And this is something that, like, I mean, there was we've had a few evenings where we've been we've been out with 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 our group of mates and there's there's a handful of lads who who have got uh, children not of a dissimilar age to to your to your lad as well and i think a lot of you speak about maybe that thing of you know uh, the, the things that are difficult about it and, and perhaps it, as a father maybe sometimes not having as as obvious an outlet for your voice to be able to say when it when it's hard do you find almost with with parenthoods that there's a a difficulty for for both mother and father to to be able to say that, that it's hard or to be able to say that it's difficult because it's supposed to be you know you know it's the greatest thing in the world and you know there's a certain stigma or a guilt that might come with it if you say that you're finding it difficult but it, it's it's okay to say that it's that it's hard and it's okay to say that that it's that it's emotionally draining or whatever it might be absolutely because obviously it's, you've decided to go go and have the baby you know what i mean it it's the most natural thing in the world and and it, yeah i do it is quite difficult it's this you don't it's not moaning it's just saying I, i'm my day's not going that well kind of yeah. thing it's not because of that it's just it, it's it's a bit difficult really to 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 mo- come on and moan about it it's just there are expectations there are pressures that are put on you particularly like financial and stuff like that which are really difficult i think for young lads really difficult for anyone and um, but particularly young lads because you you kind of ingrained of go win the bread go go do it all and you know you should know the answer you should know this and i think that's the thing i quite found i know i make a joke about like my dad knows everything but he but does so i was like when does that happen i don't, I don't understand when when do i learn that knowledge mm. and i kind of had that conversation with my dad and it was difficult because i was like didn't really get to the point which is probably not a shock for anyone listening <laughs> but it, it didn't really get to the point because it was just difficult to go oh, i'm struggling here can you help me like because it shouldn't be that hard it should be enjoyable but there are just certain elements particularly when you throw it in with everything else and mix it all together it's difficult and i can understand how it's difficult for jordan i mean i'm i, I think i might have said it to him i'm, I'm quite fortunate I'm, I'm in a job where i don't have to you know i can I can go in every day, and as long as I do the right things, I, I, I can go in next year as well. <laughs> There's not a period of time yeah. where you're not having something, you're, yeah. You're not, you're not literally working to earn a contract, are you? You're yeah. just in a job like, like, like the exactly. rest of us. Oh, can you, can you go and um, do some Excel and we'll keep it on trial for a, for a week? You know, it's not like that. It's, it's we're sending um, you on loan to another hospital and um, just yeah. to get you some match practice at the, the old spreadsheets. <laughs> I just think that must be one of the hardest things to to deal with particularly if you you know because at the end of the day you started playing football because you like playing football you've then been told you're good at it you've then been told you can make money from it and then it's like oh we'll make more money from it it's like oh right okay how do I make more money well you've got to impress this really annoying manager <laughs> oh, come on man I mean if they don't like it it's difficult like it's really tough like and the way football's changed from, from you know like 10 years ago if you don't 
play left back in the in the, in the right way, you're not getting the gig. Like it's so difficult. Mm. And then all the other factors, particularly now with COVID and clubs going going under, they got no money. They're going to pay you in different ways. Oh, I mean, he's done brilliantly, like to to navigate all that and yeah. to have a two year deal. He's done fantastically. I, I don't think he should be hard on himself at all. I think he should be proud of himself and he can carry that forward. And he's, you know, he's playing well. I think Ryan said the other week he had an absolute screener. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't score uh, tappings, does he? But just no. to what you've said there, and about like, my dad knows everything. When will I know that? It goes back to what we were saying about Jordan is that you're going to go into some things with no experience, not knowing how to deal with them. And the, and the thing is, in life, there's some people, and it's often said about those who are at the elite top of sport, that it doesn't matter how many times they get knocked down, they've just got this inner strength to just keep going and driving forward, and that tends to be why they're at the top. But for most everyday people, we're not like that. We get knocked down, we're hurt by it, we're a bit scarred by it, we're a bit reluctant to try that thing again that hurt us. And I think that can be a scary thing, but in reality, is it's got to be seen as a learning process and a way of... of, of basically finding out them things for yourself and you're going to get things wrong. I mean, it's, I always think it's funny when people have kids and then you see the kid and the kid basically just got cuts all over the head when they learn to walk because all they do is fall over. I, I always think of that situation and go, I'd absolutely be terrified. I'd be rushing it to weigh in every five minutes. Thinking <laughs> it. But they're the things that if they didn't fall over, they wouldn't learn not to, not to fall, if, you know, if that makes sense. And yeah. that never stops. It's just, you learn how to walk and then the next thing is you go to school and someone laughs at you and then you learn to laugh at yourself and then you go and you, you may do bad in a certain job and then you get another job it's just an ongoing process I think the whole thing boils down to not being too hard on yourself about them these things yeah, yeah. and I think it's 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 a common theme isn't it that, that we keep going back to is is being being candid to yourself and giving yourself mm-hmm. more credit when you when you get things right lads that was um that was really nice and thank you very much for 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 your honesty there, mate. No I, I, I wasn't expecting the sex bit. Yeah, but, um... try after shave or something, mate. I know, yeah. <laughs> if you, if, I've got a lovely playlist I can give to you for Anna will love it. I reckon next week, Dan, we do uh, today's episode, the theme, and a chat up line from Pop and let's just see, <laughs> see where he's up to. <laughs> let's put you and I together. I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm lucky that she doesn't really tune into this, but she might have heard me in the other room, so I don't know. <laughs> I might. I, I might text her and say you might want to listen to this week's episode. It's quite, <laughs> quite revealing. We have to. Might have to put this bit on the Patreon. I don't know if it'll be. There's a watershed with podcasts. <laughs> anyway, chaps, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for listening. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at marking underscore man and use the hashtag Where's the Talking Lads. And if you want to drop us an email about anything that's come up in in any of our interviews, then then feel free to do so. Our email address is manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com. We will be back again on Monday as we are speaking to James Coppinger, Doncaster Rovers legend. So we'll see you on, on Monday for that. That'll be very interesting for us indeed. I'm going to leave you now with Jordan's quickfire. You've been listening to Man Marking and we'll see you again on Monday. Okay. Touched on it before, we're all Tramie fans. Was that goal last year your best goal of your career? Yeah, I would say so. It was my best goal, yeah. It was a cross, wasn't it, Jordan? Nah, it was. <laughs> what are you like, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, send you, I'll send you guys the angle from what Tramie had as well. <laughs> That's just the Football League angle. I'll send you the actual angle where it was on the cross. Tell Scott yeah, Davis not to die for that again. <laughs> 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 
Uh, as a fullback, who is your favourite winger to play in front, front of you? Oh, that's a tough question. You say it's quick fire, it's tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? I would, I would actually say Kev. Kev, because he's, he, he's an honest guy. He would give 110% for you. He would literally do anything for you. Okay, so I would, I would say Kev, yeah. Is it annoying when you're playing behind him and he starts winding up the fans? Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> I can't because because just for example, like on throw-ins where they, the the team want to take a quick throw-in, you you want the winger to be in front of the the right winger, and you, you see Kev twenty yards down the down the, the pitch screaming at fans and giving all fans <laughs> jib. You're like, you like Kev, Kev, get back, Kev, get back. And he's like, oh shit, shit, sorry, sorry. He's like, so yeah. <laughs> It is, it is tough playing in front of Kev sometimes, but it's also funny as well. <laughs> um, we interviewed uh, Guy Branston, and now we're interviewing you, uh, Jordan Cranston. You don't happen <laughs> to know anybody called Dranston, do you? No, I don't know anyone called Dranston, no. Sorry. <laughs> I, actually know, I, actually know, I actually know Guy Branston from my time in North County as well. Did you have a hero or an icon growing up? Uh, football-wise or personally-wise. Uh, I take both. Um, obviously, growing up, obviously, my, my dad. I look up to my dad as as a man and as a person, and how he's grown up and struggled through, just to to help our family as well. So I would say him personally, and obviously football wise, I've always looked up to um to Ashley Cole. Ashley Cole was one of my favourite left backs growing up in that era of my age as well. But now. I would I would say Marcelo, who's at Real Madrid. I always look at how he plays. I feel like we have the same um, attributes. He likes to go forward and and be a, a flary left back compared to the old school left backs. Now he's kind of like a different different level of of how fullback should be. You know what I mean? Doctor Dre and Eminem famously sang "Forgot About Dre." Have you ever forgotten something that's gotten you into trouble? Oh God! Um, <laughs> you know when I was at Wolves. I was I was a I was a first year pro, and we we travelled to Middlesbrough the day before the, on the Friday, and I remember we had a call down session on the Saturday, but on that Friday, Grant, remember when Grand Theft Auto, the 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 pre the last GTA came out, yeah, that came out. So we all from where we used to go at the Molyneux, it's, it's only like a, a drive walking distance away from Asda across the road. So we've all arranged to go to Asda get get GTA and come back home and play it. So we're all playing it. And we, we had to be in for training the next day at like 10 o'clock to start a warm down. And I remember being on it till about four or five o'clock, just completing every mission. And I didn't set my alarm. I forgot to set my alarm. So I've woke up in the morning and it's like half 10. And I'm like, oh crap, I've got, I've got training. And so I, I've literally just not even washed myself. I've just put all my clothes on, got to training, drove to training. And I've, everyone just starting their their stretching session, and I've walked in like like an innocent little boy at school, and gone. <laughs> I've like I've knocked on the door, and I'm like, oh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm late. I was, I'm sorry, I overslept. So it's kind of like <laughs> silly little things just for like a, a games console. It's like you know what I mean. It's just crazy. Didn't um didn't Meza Azel turn up late to training or something? He was playing Fortnite. Yeah, wasn't that season? Wasn't it? It's like an addiction. Like, it's like the PS4 just says, keep playing them, keep playing with me. It's like now, I'll stay on Call of Duty till about four or five. 
even though I'm trying to stay in a routine with like waking up at nine o'clock, which some days it doesn't even happen because I'm just too in too deep with playing Call of Duty. <laughs> um, what's your favourite memory of fans celebrating when you've been playing? Um, obviously, I can't talk about the time where I was at Tramia because obviously it was 3 0 down at the time. But um, I would say my the 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 goal I scored at Cambridge away because at the time we was we was fighting for relegation, so we kind of like had to go on a little mini run. To get to pick up points and and further our distance away from the bottom two, so to go away to Cambridge and put on a performance like we did, and for me to score the goal to like ease us away from even drawing the game or whatever to make it two 0 and to celebrate with the fans was was massive for me to like even describe it to even stay up with stay up as well. We're walking from the season we had as well, so we would we would play games and do well against teams, but but lose. But we we got no we got no arguments or complaints because we did the best we can. We like we batter teams, but still come out with a, a bad result. But yeah, I would say Cambridge away when we won two one. Uh, Jordan, uh, the Friends Friends TV show um, has kind of gone through a bit of a, a battering from from younger generations. Yeah. Uh, do you like it or do you think it's overrated? You know what? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I, I've I've never watched Friends. I've never ever watched it. Wow, that's you. I've never Breaking. watched that, it. That'll be on the, the, the Sky Sports yellow ticker. <laughs> <laughs> I've never watched it. You know what it is? Because it's back on Netflix now. And now you're saying it's breaking news for me. Not I haven't watched it. I'm going to have to watch it now. <laughs> There'll be some uncomfortable questions at the uh, the first match press conference when yeah. that's when that dropped. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, never, I've never watched Friends. I've never watched Friends. <laughs> um, Jordan, if you could play in any derby in the world, what derby would it be? It's got to be the Merseyside derby, isn't it? Yeah. It's the the Tramir Everton? No. Nah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. nah, the Merseyside, Merseyside. It's it's just one of the, it's one of the the top derbies you can even think of. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like to to exp- even to experience it in in a lifetime. You could say I've been to a Merseyside derby. Even watching it on even watching it on telly, it's just ridiculous from the atmosphere you get. But to be live, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like. Me. Yeah.